It's my pleasure to be here again this Lord's Day morning. And as we prepare our hearts and souls for the table of the Lord, which is spread before you, I want to draw your attention to the Gospel according to John chapter 6. And in this Gospel, Jesus is preaching about the significance of what he later instituted on the last night in this world when he celebrated with his disciples the Last Supper. This chapter is not about the Lord's Supper. It is about the meaning of it, the significance of it. God had been preparing his people for generations to feast on him. He has spread a table in the wilderness since the Garden of Eden. He has fed His people. We're going to look briefly at just a a few of those ways. But the true significance of the Lord's Supper, the true, as we find it here in this Gospel, is that we might feed on Christ, not just at the Lord's table, not just one day a week, if indeed you're in the habit of feeding yourself spiritually throughout the Lord's day or perhaps just the morning. But He wants us to feed on Him continually. And He has to get very shocking in how He is saying that. So I've called this between the mercy seat and the judgment seat. The mercy seat is symbolic. That was the seat you will remember. That was the lid on top of the ark that God gave the pattern to for Moses that they carried in the wilderness. It was the mercy seat upon which they sprinkled the blood of Christ that pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, the Christ who was coming, that all of those animal sacrifices for hundreds and hundreds of years were slain. And every one of them, while they could not take away the sins of the people, they pointed them to the one who could, the mercy seat. And between the mercy seat and the judgment seat that we are all moving rapidly toward, we will all stand before the judge of all the earth who is the one who is the mercy seat, Jesus Christ. Between the judgment seat that we're all moving toward and the mercy seat of God is Christ. It's the table of the Lord. He spreads a feast for us in the wilderness. So that's what I want us to draw our attention to in the next few minutes as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. Now we're going to look at John chapter 6 and we're going to start reading... In verse 22, before this verse, Jesus has just fed 5,000 men in the wilderness. We don't know how many more wives, women, boys and girls there were. 15,000, 20,000, 30,000. That's really irrelevant. If he can feed 5,000 from just a few loaves and fishes, he could feed many more. And in fact, he feeds the entire earth. 
every day. He causes all of that food to grow. We have nothing to do with it except planting and trusting Him to cause it to grow. And He, he who brought water out of the rock brings water enough to feed the world. But the world, and may it not be true of us, the world is looking at the gifts and not the giver. We're here to worship the giver no matter how little or how much He has given us. That is totally, it doesn't matter. It is the giver that counts. And He's the one that we worship. And so the Lord showed His, He showed this sign of Himself, of His power to feed us spiritually, to feed us physically and in every way by feeding 5,000. And and, and then, the, you remember how many baskets were left over? There were twelve baskets. One for every one of the twelve disciples to take home and feed their family. He's always taking care of us, is He not? And then that night, the disciples left Him alone to pray, and then they went on to the Sea of Tiberias, and the huge storm came, and their boat, they thought, was going to swamp, and Jesus comes to them walking on the water, another sign of His power to protect and provide and do everything for His people. And He comes and He gets in their boat. And everything's okay. And I think uh, He's always in your boat. He never leaves you alone if you're His. He comes and He gets in the boat with you. And so now we come to verse 22 of John 6. Hear the word of God. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came and came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on Him God the Father has set His seal. Then they said to Him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. So they said to Him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, 
Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, And they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. May God add his blessing to his eternal word and write its truths on our hearts. His word that is inerrant, inspired, infallible. Why did Jesus, why did John record that Jesus said these things in the synagogue? Well, perhaps partly because you can go to church You can hear the Word of God and and die in your sins. 
you can come to the table of the Lord. And you're warned by the Scripture not to come to the table of the Lord if there's unrepentant sin in your life or if you're not even a, a Christian by the Word and die in your sins. First of all, I think Jesus wants us to get real about this life and eternity. When the Jews asked Jesus, Rabbi, when did you get here? What does that matter? How irrelevant. They were showing their addiction to superficiality, triviality, mediocrity, because we're, we're all tempted greatly to illusion. We think pleasure, physical pleasure, sex, drink, food, uh, wealth is, is going to, is anything that's going to last. And, and Jesus said, well, first of all, he didn't entertain their desire for, in, he didn't entertain their addiction. He asked the question, because he was always seeking to turn them away from trivial pursuits and insignificance that marks so much of our lives. So he cut to the chase, landed on terra firma, and he said, look, you're not seeking me because you saw the signs and believed. You're seeking me because you ate so much your belly's about to pop and, you, and you're looking for the next meal. That's in verse 26. And then also in that verse, in verse 27, he's saying, secondly, stop working for things that perish. Things that don't endure to eternal life. Now, as he's saying, don't work, don't study, don't labor, don't do your responsibilities, don't do your chores, don't do the things that, uh, the multitude of things that we all have to do. He's not saying that. He's saying, don't do it for the wrong things. Don't do it with the wrong motives. Don't Spend your energy and waste your life working for superficial things. Don't work for anything that goes into the garbage or the sewer or turns into waste after use. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.13. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy both one and the other. But the body is not meant for sexual immorality. It says in the same verse but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. So while you've got to work to get a paycheck, you've got to study to show yourself approved to your teachers and your parents, you've, you've got to work so that you can pay your bills. You're not supposed to be working for them, but for the Lord. So that all that you do will be done with excellence, with zeal, And with joy, because it's not man you're serving, it's not your parents you're trying to please, it's not yourself you're trying to please, it's the Lord that you're trying to please. So what separates most, what separates the most belief from unbelief? That's what Jesus charged them with. He said, you see me, you were seeking me, but you don't believe in me, because if they believed in him, they would obey Him. Their lives were boring lives. 
The lies of these religious authorities, the lies of the Jews who did not believe in Jesus, were boring, were miserable, and they were going nowhere fast. They were wasting their lives. What makes the difference between belief and unbelief? Well, the Lord showed us that when He fed Israel at the feast of the Passover in the midst of their enemies. Doesn't it remind us of Psalm 23? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So he gave them this feast of the Passover. He fed them in the midst of their enemies in Egypt and then he delivered them. Now listen to Psalm 78, verses 17 to 20. Yet they sinned still more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert of all places. You know what they were crying for? God was giving them manna every day. It was just what they needed. It was the diet of heaven. It was the diet that God assigned to them and it was absolutely perfect. And you know what they wanted? Anything but manna. They loathed the manna because they loathed Moses and they loathed Moses because they loathed God. They didn't care for God. So this... He's testing them. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. Leeks and onions and melons and fish and quail. And he, he fed some of them so much quail that, and then he killed them. Because, you know, if you want something besides God, he may indeed give it to you. Then you may have leanness of soul and then he might just say, well, psh, you're useless to me, just take you and send you into darkness. If you want anything but God, if you want anything but Christ, you may get it, but you'll be miserable. You will not be happy. That's what he's saying. Psalm 78, verse 19, They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? Well, he proved that. They admitted, He struck the rock so that water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can He also give bread or provide meat for His people? Well, of course he can. You don't need to depend upon the government to feed you. God is your king. You don't need to worry about those kinds of things. It doesn't mean that you might go without, that you might even starve. Some of God's choicest servants have starved to death in this world. But guess what? They had Christ. And that's what this table is all about. It's just to remind us if we have Christ, we have all we need. We don't have to worry about other things. So he says, look, keep working for eternal matters. Stop working for things that perish. Because what the world needs, the great, one of the greatest testimonies of God's people is that they need to see the difference between those who believe God and those who don't. And those who believe God, they've got Christ. And even if a hurricane like Katrina should ever come back through and take the rest of what you've got. It doesn't matter because Christ is there. So the perspective that he wants us to have is in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Don't love the world. The world's passing away. The things of this world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride and possession, it's not from the Father, it's from the world. So what is the true bread that Christ gives us? 
in the Last Supper. You know, or, or that last forever. You remember they were urging Jesus when the disciples came to him at the well of Samaria and saying, Matt, Rabbi, eat. And he said, I, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. And then he said, my food is to do the will of my Father who sent me. So Jesus is saying here in our text that the true bread, the bread of God is Christ who descended from heaven. He came down to do the will of his Father in heaven to seek and to save the lost. And and they grumbled about that. So we had to get radical. You know, Jesus never backed up. Christians, our churches will say, look, we're going we're gonna to have an event, but we're not going to share the gospel because we don't want to feel people who are out of the church who come that we've invited to be threatened. Well, if you're going to be true to Christ, you will be a threat. You better get used to it. If you're going to follow Christ, you are a threat And that's, what he's, that's why he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, that's shocking. Many people over the centuries have said, you know, those Christians are cannibals. They talk about that. They drink his blood, they eat his flesh. You know Jesus wasn't saying that. He had to get, he had to get shocking with them. Eating his flesh and drinking his blood, that's what we're going to do at this table. Spiritually, this, these elements on this table don't become the body and blood of Christ. And neither is the body and blood of Christ mysteriously in, under, or with them. It's not that at all. Jesus gave simple elements to remind us that unless we're feeding on Him. Now, what does that mean? It means to be obsessed with Him. The time is over for for the church of Jesus Christ in this world to quit just playing church. We've got to be preoccupied, obsessed with Christ. And it's not hard to do that. There's risk in it. It's not hard. You know why? Because He has given us the ordinary means of grace. He's given us the Word, the sacraments, singing the Word of God, praying the Word of God, preaching the Word of God, reading the Word of God. And you can read to yourself and preach to yourself constantly so that everything you're doing, all of your labor is for the Lord and you're thinking about Him. You're obsessed with Him. I want to end by telling you the story of a little girl over a hundred years ago in England who was severely burned. She was part of the Methodist Church at a time when the Methodist Church Sunday school teachers and even parents back then taught their own children to love and sing the great hymns of the faith. Most churches and most parents don't do that anymore. But this little girl had learned Jesus the name high over all. She had had a terrible accident. She had been severely burned and she she was in a hospital in London and she was dying. And so that night, the last night of her life, she's in the ward and it's total silence. All the other people in there, 
they know that she is dying from these burns. And so all you can hear is the tick and the strike of the clock. And then suddenly they hear out of the silence her little voice singing, happy, Jesus, the name high over all in hell or earth or sky, angels and men before it fall and devils fear and fly. Jesus, the name to sinners dear, the name to sinners given, it scatters all their guilty fear. It turns their hell to heaven. Oh, that mankind might taste and see the riches of His grace, the arms of love that compass me would all the world embrace. And then her voice trailed off. And for another period, there was just silence. And all you could hear was the clock and no... But the patients were listening. They had heard and they were thinking. And finally, the melodious voice of the little sufferer again broke the silence, and many other sufferers in the room heard her singing softly His only righteousness I show, His saving grace proclaim to all my business here below, to cry, Behold the Lamb. Happy if with my latest breath I may but gasp His name, preach to all, preach Him to all, and cry in death, Behold, behold the Lamb. And with that, the little preacher's voice was indeed hushed in death, but not until many had heard in the words of this tender song that she so sweetly sang a gospel message they would never forget. We're coming to the table of the Lord that we might feed on Him by faith. And so let's prepare our hearts. Let's pray. How kind you are, O Lord, to spread a feast in the midst of our enemies, in the midst of this wilderness, that we might feed by faith on our dear Savior, Jesus Christ, who allowed evil men to nail him to the cross, who took our sins upon himself that we might live forever and forever proclaim that cross. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.